0: Proverbs chapter 19, let's begin in verse 16. He who keeps the commandment keeps his soul, but he who is careless of his ways will die. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. Chasten your son while there is hope, and do not set your heart on his destruction. A man of great wrath will suffer punishment, For if you rescue him, you will have to do it again. Listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. What is desired in a man is kindness, and a poor man is better than a liar. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. A lazy man buries his hand in the bowl and will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. Strike a scoffer, and the simple will become wary. Rebuke one who has understanding, and he will discern knowledge. He who mistreats his father and chases away his mother is a son who causes shame and brings reproach. Cease listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge." A disreputable witness scorns justice and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. Judgments are prepared for scoffers and beatings for the backs of fools. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. There's so many other messages going out in this world. And how would we ever know that those messages are true or not if we didn't have your word to test them against? And so we thank you, Lord, for... the your words are eternal life. They're words of life. They're, they're live. They're spirit and they're truth. We ask, God, that you would be our teacher this morning. We pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us. We want not just to hear your word. We want to have it go deep in our heart, Lord, and we want to obey it and not just be hearers only. Jesus, we recognize you said if we continue in your word, we're your disciples indeed. And, Lord, we recognize that we need your word every single day. We recognize that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of you. So help us, Lord, to receive your word, to heed it, put it into practice by your grace and by your power, thus bringing you glory. We commit it to you. We ask that you set this time aside for your holy use. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. As we've been going through the book of Proverbs, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, we've been seeing God emphasize and focus on the importance of wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge rightly applied. We can have a lot of knowledge, but if we don't apply it, then we're going to suffer the consequences. Solomon did. Towards the end of his life, he stopped applying this wisdom and he Suffered as a result of it. And we can do the same. We can walk with the Lord for many years. And we can know things. But there's a difference between knowing them and actually putting them into practice. James tells us that we're deceiving ourselves if we do that. The Bible speaks of two different kinds of wisdom. There's an earthly wisdom. And there's wisdom from above. And James, by the Holy Spirit, describes the difference in James chapter 3 Verses 15 through 17, where he tells us this The wisdom, this wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. That's wisdom from above. That's the wisdom that he wants us to walk in every single day. The wisdom that he provides. Jesus said, at one point, I call you friends now, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. So he's given us revelation, things that this world doesn't know anything about. And revelation is a privilege, It's good to remind ourselves of that, that it's a privilege to know what God has revealed. He's unveiled truth, eternal truth. Jesus said that his word will outlive the heavens and the earth, that it's supernatural. He said, my words are spirit and they are life. And so for us as believers, those of us that are disciples of his, he calls us to walk in this wisdom from above because it is pure, it is peaceable, it is Gentle, it's, it, it produces a life that's willing to yield, to put others first, to prefer others, to consider others better than ourselves, that's full of mercy and bearing good fruit in people's lives and getting our focus off ourselves and onto others, which is the key to life. Focus on God and focus on others. We've seen that Solomon was very wise, the one who wrote most of these Proverbs. We're told in Scripture that he wrote 3,000 of them. Proverbs only contains about 600 of them that we see in Scripture. He also wrote 105 songs, so he was a songwriter as well. And again, he was the wisest man that ever lived apart from Jesus Christ. God answered that prayer when he asked God for wisdom. He answered that prayer, and God used that far beyond what he could possibly imagine. So... These proverbs are are so valuable for us, and that's why we've been enjoying going through them verse by verse. Let's start in verse 16. He says, he who keeps the commandment keeps his soul, but he who is careless of his ways will die. Notice the word keeps there at the beginning of verse 16. He who keeps the commandment. That means to obey. When you keep someone's word, you do what they say to do. And so he calls us, again, like I said, not just to hear the word, but to be doers of the word, to keep his commandments. And none of us keep them perfectly. All of us fall short every day. The standard is perfection. None of us are perfect. And so we fall short. But because of that, it doesn't mean that we give up trying to grow in our obedience to him. One of the ways that he measures our spiritual maturity and growth is the extent to which we obey him in any given moment related to what he's told us already in his word, but also what he tells us in real time as we walk in this life with him, and he gives us specific instructions on what's for us and what isn't for us. Paul talked about it. He revealed it to be the law of the Spirit. And it's so much better than the law of Moses in that the law of Moses only spoke to very specific, it spoke to very specific things, but not situational things and not things that are unique to our individual lives. Like the Holy Spirit can tell us that's not for you. That's that's a freedom that other believers have, but for your particular calling, that's not for you. He could tell us to do things that we need to do that are good things, that the law of Moses may not have covered. And Paul talks about this great law of the of the Spirit, and it's beautiful to see. He says here in this verse here that he who is careless of his ways will die. And so disobedience to God's word, that's what he's talking about, being careless. You're not being careful to keep the commandment and caring, keeping our own soul as a result of it, that that can bring forth or expedite our deaths, our physical deaths. It can speed up that. There's a sin that leads to death, we're told in Scripture. There is sins that expedite uh, our physical deaths. And so he says here to us, Keep those commandments. Keep our, when we do that, because it's the same word there, keep the commandment, keep his soul. So we, we maintain both of those things. We obey our you know, his commandments, his word, and all of that. Then we maintain and keep our souls the way that they should be, that he intended. He has a very specific desire for each one of us related to his plan for our life. Do you know that plan? Do you know what his plan is for you? Maybe you walked in here today and you have no idea what God's plan is for your life. He wants you to know more than you want to know. And he can show you what that plan is. And as you read his word and as you aim to keep his commandments and all of those things, you obey the law of Christ, loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, then those things are realized as you surrender your life to Christ. And it's a beautiful life that he produces. So he says, he who keeps the commandment keeps his soul, but he who is careless of his ways will die. It's a great, great proverb. Verse 17. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord and he will, rep- he will pay back what he has given. It's a searching scripture, isn't it? He who has pity on the poor. That presupposes that we should have pity on the poor. Do we? Do we have pity on the poor? I think for myself, I think that from my experience being so irresponsible growing up, when I finally started being responsible, I start, stopped having compassion on the poor because I was so focused on being responsible and disciplined and I, and I erroneously in my heart, it was so subtle, but erroneously in my heart I started not having compassion on people because, well, they're not, they're, they're not responsible. They're not, you know, they've, they've, they've done this to themselves and all these things. And, and there is a reaping and a sowing and there are a sowing and a reaping. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. There is obviously ways that God disciplines us and gets our attention and all these things. But um, he wants us to have pity on the poor. And we can forget them. We can forget the poor so easily. And he calls us to have pity on the poor. And he's, notice he says, when you lend to them, or when you have pity, pity is equating, he's equating pity with giving to them. He says, whoever does that lends to the Lord. Now we know in real life, in reality, God doesn't need anything from us. He not only owns the cattle in a thousand hills, as Scripture says, he owns the hills. <laughs> and he doesn't need anything from us. But what he's saying is... When you do it to them, you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to him. You're lending to him. You are helping him in that sense. He so closely identifies with the poor that when you bless them and when you help them, he's taking it as if you're helping him. And it's a beautiful thing. And notice he gives a promise at the end of verse 17. And he, that is the Lord, will pay back what he has given. And that's good for us to see because many times we think, well, I don't want I don't want to be taken advantage of. And what if I give sacrificially to help this person? I may not ever see it back or I may be, you know, all these things. God's going to credit it to our account if we're doing things from a, a loving heart, a spirit-directed heart and we're doing it to help them. We don't know what they're ultimately going to do with, with that money many times. And, and I'm not saying that you need to give money to people. Or, I mean, there's scams. We all know that. We have to have discernment and, and all those things. But We have to, he's also saying that if we do those things and if we have pity on the poor, we're never going to be in want as a result of it. We're never going to be in, he's never going to be indebted to us in that way. He's never going to, um, we're never going to outgive the Lord. He's always going to take care of us. Jesus said, you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me with you. So he's not advocating being poor, but he's, he's saying that that's always going to happen. There's always going to be people in need. So so recognize that and, and be compassionate and be like me. Jesus had so much compassion on the poor, and it's important for us to see. And we, we can go so fast through life and everything's happening so quickly. We don't slow down to think about people's lives and the implications of where they're at in life and, and how they really go through things that are real for their family, for their kids. And we have to have compassion. We have to have the Lord's heart for that and we can just bypass them and harden our heart towards them and say oh you know be warm and filled and be you know brother I hope that your your needs are met and all that and we don't do anything practically to help them James says don't don't even don't even do that don't even come close to that have it really be sincere from our hearts and and really see what we can do to help And God will bless that every time. And he sees every bit of it. He sees every single time that we do that. It matters to him and he sees it and it blesses him. Beautiful verse. Verse 18. Chasten your son while there is hope. (laughs) And do not set your heart on his destruction. You know, we're told in scripture for us to use corporal punishment. That's really what it's getting at here. And it says it a lot in Proverbs. It says it a lot in his word about using... uh, disciplining our children in all of those things. And the word chasten there means everything necessary for proper instruction. It doesn't just it's not just limited to corporal punishment. It's everything related to training. But corporal punishment shouldn't be done in anger. It shouldn't be done to as retribution for sure. We should do it because we love them and it's training and all those things and there needs to be restoration afterwards and lots of hugs and and kisses and and all of those things uh, to to help them be restored and all of that but he says don't when he says do it while there's hope he's saying don't put, put this off don't don't prolong this and say oh yeah I'll get to this and I'll be a better disciplinarian you know in next year or in a couple of years no don't don't do it now while there's hope while while your son or daughter is in your life and you have the capacity to help them and train them up don't waste any time, and, and he gives a really good ex- encouragement at the end of verse eighteen, where he says, "And do not set your heart on his destruction." Talking about the implications of your discipline, that you're going—it's going to hurt. <laughs> you know, God's given us two uh, pretty big padding pillows there in our high knees there. That—that that, uh, it's going to hurt. You know, back on the backside, it's going to hurt, but that's okay. Don't focus and don't set your heart on, on what that's going to do because it's good for them. And it's something that's going to help them learn to be um, the type of person that they're supposed to be. And we can think, oh, you know what? It does, you know, and this world says all kinds of crazy, untrue things that's going to permanently damage them. It's going to, you know, all these, which isn't true. It's been done for thousands of years. <laughs> and yes, there is a wrong way to do it. But God knows that there's a right way to do it. And, and we, can't, we can't put that aside and say that's not important. Or, you know, I mean, timeouts only go so far. <laughs> if I had timeouts, and I would, unfortunately, I didn't have any discipline growing up. And then that you probably would guess that, yeah, I can see that, how that would happen. Um, but uh, I didn't have timeouts. But if you know what? If they gave, tried to give me a timeout and I'm weighing it out, like, oh, I can, you know, set the house on fire and get a timeout for a week I guess you can't, well, you could time out in the backyard while the house is gone, but, um, you know, I mean, weighing things out, the things I did to my sisters, if I could get a time out for those things, I would have easily done a time out, and I know there's a place where you can get them to calm down, and, you know, all of that, I'm not saying that that doesn't work, but there's, there needs to be a real um, disciplining that, that happens, and there's scriptures, and we've, you know, even in Proverbs talking about if we hate our, if we don't do this, we're hating our children in the sense that we're not caring for them. And we may not mean that from our hearts, but God says, you know, if you don't do this, it's like as if you hate them. And, and it's a strong exhortation. We'll see more of those uh, as we go through Proverbs. Verse 19. A man of great wrath will suffer punishment. For if you rescue him, you will have to do it again. Notice the word great there. A man of great wrath will suffer punishment. And it could be bail. <laughs> it could be uh, just bad financial situations. It could be all kinds of things that a person that has, shows that great wrath all the time and has a horrible temper that you're trying to bail them out and you're just going to have to keep doing it over and over again until that anger uh, problem is, is dealt with. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And, you know, we can blame it on, well, I'm Irish. You know, I'm Italian. Uh, I, my whole upbringing, my whole family, they, that's how they, sh- they express themselves. So it's acceptable. We can make excuses for it. But Scripture says that it's, it's of the flesh. Fits of rage. All those things. And what God can do is he can warn us ahead of time. And he can show us we're starting to go down that path of being out of control. And that's where we need to really deal with it way before we get to the point where we've lost control. And we ask the Lord for self-control, give me patience, all those things. He can give us those things. But if we refuse to do that, and if we're a person that shows great wrath, we will suffer punishment. And if someone rescues us, they're going to have to do it over and over again. And those people get less and less and less in our lives. And so he wants us to be focused on doing the right thing. And I think that verse 19 is kind of connected to verse 18. Because if we don't discipline our children, then many times they live a life, they grow up not having self-control, and then they just fly off the handle at any given moment. And that person is going to have problems in life. How many, I'll just get specific with men. How many men, and because a lot of times the, that, the rat, men have, show that more, there's women that can do it too, but many times I've been in counseling situations where men have lost their families because they can't control their temper and their spousal abuse and pain and modeling horrible things, horrific things, and, and, and all because we just can't control our temper. So God warns against it. And Jesus has all the resources that we could ever need related to patience and all those things and helping us with Not having that type of temper. Verse 20 Listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. I like how God has our latter days in His sights here. I just had a birthday yesterday, um, and I'm getting older. And younger people don't really understand as you get a little bit older, the birthdays aren't as quite of a celebration as uh, the, you know that they're they're used to you know um, but they are it's one more day of God's faithfulness one more day of experiencing and knowing him and all of that but he wants us to if he gives us long days and it's up to him he wants those days to represent days that we're full of his wisdom and full of of his knowledge and and have a capacity to bless others and help other people and to pass on those things to Others, But that won't happen if we can't listen to counsel and we can't receive instruction. The times of danger come when we hear counsel or instruction, but it's related to areas where we have a lot of knowledge or experience or whatever. It's hardest for us to receive instruction in those areas. I've been a pastor since 2003, and... It's probably hardest for me to receive instruction related to, you know, serving people and and helping people and all that. Just being honest, just being transparent with you. I, I don't think I have all the answers, but I've experienced a lot. And But it's just in our areas of where well, we have experience, that's where the danger comes in, where self-dependence can come in, where pride can come in, and we have to guard against that. We have to be very teachable and humble in the areas that, we're good at or we have experience in and and god is faithful to bring people that will help us and and fine-tune us and help us grow in in maturity even in areas that we feel like we've come a long ways in and he's so faithful to do that i love how he he does that but that that he expects us to be able to be humble and receive that instruction and that correction and then when we are in our latter days whatever that means that's relative term isn't it When's our latter days? Well, it depends on who who you're talking to. You may may be in your 30s and you're talking to somebody like, yeah, you're in your latter days. (laughs) Or maybe younger. I don't know. So I just love it. I just love how God gives us that uh, instruction to be teachable and to receive that counsel, receive instruction, always asking, Lord, what do you want to teach me in this situation? This person is saying these things and they may not mean it the right way they may mean it the right way but Lord what do you want to what do you want to teach me through this situation and the the wisest people that I know are always looking for those lessons in every situation that they're in and they're willing to take instruction and correction if we've walked with the Lord for a long time we should be able to be corrected by a new believer on something can new believers see something in our lives that need to be corrected absolutely a lot of times they're the ones that see it the best You're like, you know what? You've known the Lord for two days, but I received that, brother. I received that instruction. I received that correction. It's great. Verse 21. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. And I think that this verse is connected as well to the previous verse in verse 20. Because we... we, God wants to use the instruction and the counsel that we receive from other people to lead our lives. And he wants to provide counsel through other people. And we often have all these plans in our heart, but God comes in and he intervenes and he saves us from making decisions that we would normally make, but he brings people into our lives to help give us his perspective. And, And we need to have that. So we need to recognize that maybe God may be leading me somewhere, and he wants to give me instruction related to that, and I have to be open to it and receiving it and all of that. And I love just, this is a perfect picture of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility in one verse. Look at verse 21. There are many plans in a man's heart, that's that's what's going on in me. Nevertheless, and I love God's neverthelesses in scripture, the Lord's counsel that will stand. Ultimately, God's sovereign. Ultimately, he's sovereign over my situation and my life, especially as as I've submitted to him. I've submitted my life to him. I want what he wants for my life. And so we can have a lot of different plans. And we've seen these scriptures as we've gone through Proverbs verse by verse. We've seen him say, a man plans the way he should go, but the Lord directs his steps. Um, There's so many of them. I lose track of them. There's so many of them where it's just, it's, it's, um, it's beautiful how God leads our lives and guides our lives, and, and his counsel does stand. And, and the thing that we th- think of sometimes is our mistakes and our shortcomings and our sin, especially just our mistakes and all those things, that we can mess up his plan for our lives so badly that it's, it's, he can't redeem it. And that's not true. He takes all things, he works all things for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. He takes the the things that we mess up in and don't don't make the right decision or what other people try to do to us, to hurt us even. He takes all those things and he works those things together for our benefit. And in Romans 8.29, the next verse says, the purpose of all of those things is to further conform us into the image of Christ. That's his end goal. Everything that he allows in our lives as Christians, what he wants to use and how he wants to take those things and change those things around, it's all for our benefit, but not just for us to just hoard life's resources on ourselves and live for ourselves, but it's actually to further conform us into Christ and make us more and more holy. It's beautiful. So that's what he's aiming at. And if we don't know that as a Christian, we're going to think that he's missing the mark, that he's not hitting the target but he is hitting the target. He's making us more like Jesus all the time as we submit our lives to him. So we have to want that. We have to work with him in that because if, we're do- if we don't, he's, we're going to be disappointed and think that he's letting us down when he's not letting us down. You know, maturity comes through brokenness. Maturity comes through being pruned. Maturity comes through going through trials and those things aren't going to be the subject of books that you see the top sellers on Amazon or in bookstores. That's not the popular message. The popular message is, I want my existing life to be what I want it to be, and I want to do certain things so that God will bless my existing life so that I can be the happiest, most prosperous person in the, in the world, basically. And Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself himself take up his cross, and follow me. It's not about my best life now. It's about his life, his best life for me now, which is following him at all costs and following what he wants for me, which may be completely different than what I think should happen, but he knows what's best. And the life of faith and the life of getting stretched and the life of growing into maturity is accepting and being submitted to his plan, and his plan is always best for us and saying God you know what's best, and that's what brokenness is and in part that comes by unmet expectations thinking that this has to happen a certain way these circumstances need to work out a certain way and those things not happening and and going to God and saying God I don't understand why you worked in this way I don't understand why you allowed this to happen but I trust you and I know that you are what's best for my life and you know what's best for my life. And as we submit our life to that and have those unmet expectations be given over and, and, and submitted to him, then he shows us what he really had in mind. And, and we may not see the fullness of that till we're in heaven and we look back on our lives. So we may not ever see his reasons for why he did certain things. But submission to him and saying, I want what you want for my life, and trusting him, that's the life of faith he's called each one of us to. And it looks different for each one of us. And we can't be stumbled by the things that he allows in our lives when he wants those things to be used for his purposes to make us more dependent upon him. So his counsel will stand. How many of us are thankful for the prayers he didn't answer how many of us are thankful for the prayers he said no to? You know, we always talk about answered prayer like it's always yes. Like he doesn't answer prayer unless it's yes. No, he answers prayer. He answers every prayer. <laughs> it's either yes or no. It may be no forever. It may be no for now. It may be yes for now. And cha- I mean, but he knows what's best. When we're little children, when we're immature toddlers, we can throw fits. My kids did that really well. Perfectly timed right in the middle of walmart rolling around flopping around like they're you know demon possessed and they know exactly the right moment where there's the most amount of people around and i'm just watching going you know you don't you're not looking very smart right now you're not looking very wise but let's go to the bathroom and let's go into the restroom and let me show you what some wisdom will do for you you know (laughs) Well, well, well let's just put this off for a minute well let's go have a talk and, and oh no no no! I don't want that. You know. So suddenly it's like they have this heart change right in front of you, right in aisle four. You know. And but but we do that as 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 believers. We throw tantrums. And toddlers don't trust you. They look at you suspiciously. What are you up to, Dad? You don't know what you're doing. My daughter turns 18 today. And man, there are times where. She almost wore me down to giving up with that persistence. She's so much like me, unfortunately, so stubborn. Uh, And just by God's grace, I hung in there. There were times where I wanted to give up. But they don't understand what you're doing for them is best for them at the time. They struggle. They don't see the big picture. They don't see the bigger plan. They don't see the bigger purpose that you're trying to accomplish. And the more they trust you, and as they mature, they do, don't they? They trust you more and more. And your parents get wiser and wiser the older you get, it seems like. They're not getting any wiser, so we're seeing how wise they were. And so for us, it's just to trust him. He knows what's best. He knows what he's doing. I'm not going to throw a tantrum. I'm going to trust him, and he, and he has my best interest in mind. And any time I question that, all I have to do is go back to the cross. And if he was willing to die for me when I was still a sinner, he was willing to die and pay that price for me, then I know he always has my best interests in mind no matter what. The cross is the anchor that helps us trust Him when we don't understand, and it takes more faith to obey Him and walk in and walk in obedience to Him when we don't understand than when we than when we do. I don't understand what you're doing, but I trust you anyway. And He has such a great track record with each of us, doesn't He? Where we can see that He knows what He's doing, He knows what He's talking about, and we can we can trust Him. So His His counsel that will stand, and we're thankful for that. Verse twenty-two. What is desired in a man, what is desired in a man is kindness and a poor man is better than a politician. Oops, sorry. Better than a liar. (laughs) If you're a politician here, God bless you. I'm sure you're not a liar. But um, I love how he's talking about the poor. Because in this society, even in today's society, we don't think that Wealth. I mean, the lack of wealth goes along with integrity. We just saw last week where he talked about a man with integrity who's poor is better than, you know, someone that's, that's uh, you know, a liar or, you know, these other things that he talks about. And he's, he says it, what is desired in a man is kindness. What is required to be kind? Grace, patience, overlooking things that are obviously wrong, And we focus so many times with people when we're trying to help them on what we think is the most important pressing thing. And sometimes that's not what God, that's not the first, that's not even the top 15 that God has on his list for them. And we're we're fixating on certain things that we immediately see, but he wants us just to be kind and he wants us to be patient. He wants us to be gracious. He wants us to be an extension of him in this world. What if everybody decided for one day in this world that everybody's going to be, be 100% kind for one day? What would happen? We'd realize that we could do it for a second day. And we realize, wow, this is, this is not as difficult as I thought. Now, obviously, we need the Holy Spirit in us to be kind in, this, in the way that God wants us to be kind to people, the supernatural love that he provides as a fruit of the Spirit in our lives. But he says that's, that's what's needed, is to be kind. And so for us, where do we need to be kind? Who do we need to be kind to? Or I should say it the other way. Who are we struggling to be kind to? Maybe someone at work, someone at school, someone in our family. We've written them off. We've tried to be kind. But I've tried to be kind for 10 years, and I'm not getting anything in return. There's not a statute of limitations on kindness. God calls us to be kind. Isn't he kind with us? consistently even when we don't deserve it so he calls us to be kind as well even if they're poor even no matter what situation they find themselves in life even if they've made all kinds of mistakes one after another they've compounded mistake on top of mistake and all of that he still calls us to be gracious and kind and tell people that he that that he loves them because he does tell a total stranger that Jesus loves them and see what happens it's amazing I know people that say that to everyone they come in contact with. You're in an elevator with them, and they're telling someone, hey, do you know Jesus loves you? And they don't know how to respond. And it just opens doors for them to express kindness. And it's just beautiful, all the different ways he's given us to do that. Verse 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. So we're told here in verse 23 the fear of the Lord leads to three things here. It leads to life, it leads to satisfaction, and it leads to safety, protection, on on some level. God spares us from all kinds of things that we have no idea about all the time. We have no idea what God spares us from because we have a fear of him, a healthy fear, reverence. We have no idea what what he spares us from all day, every day, his angels, his Holy Spirit directly. We have no idea what he spares us from. But he says that's what we need, the fear of the Lord. It leads to the abundant life. Jesus wants us to live the abundant life to which he's called us. And that's found by just respecting God, fearing him, caring about what he thinks about our lives, his assessment of my life, his assessment of what I'm doing, how I treat people, how I care about people, how I, uh, you know, just interact with people on a daily basis. He cares about All of those things, because he's called us to be salt and light in this world, and he's called us to love other believers. It's a beautiful thing. So he says, He who has it, notice he says it's like a possession. We have the fear of the Lord who has it will abide in satisfaction. Solomon lost this. I believe he lost towards the end of his life the fear of the Lord. And 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 because of that, he wasn't satisfied. He said, you know, vanity, vanity. It's like life is like vanity grasping for the wind. He didn't have satisfaction because he would, I believe his heart wasn't right. So he wants our lives to be satisfied, but that only comes by having a fear of the Lord. And he will protect us as we have fear in him. He will protect us from evil being visited upon our lives. He will protect us. Verse 24. A lazy man buries his hand in the bowl and will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. Now, this the picture of, is they had community bowls, so to speak, and when they would eat and they would dip their bread and things, and it was very, uh, if you were a germaphobe back then, you would have a lot of problems. Now there was a lot of things being exchanged and give me that and I'm taking part of this and let's share this bowl and all of that. It was very communal in that way. And so the picture is here this person, he they they reach in this bowl and they take something out and um but after they take one bite or something they're so lazy they won't even put their hand in to get another another portion i don't have that problem <laughs> you know maybe you you do i don't know but i don't have that problem with um going for seconds or thirds or whatever so um um i'm not one of these guys i mean i have other issues but um, not, not that. So it just shows you the extent to which laziness can, can permeate a person's life. Where they won't even put their hand in a bowl of chips for a second helping. Ah, I'm hungry, but I don't feel like reaching in there and getting another one. That's how bad we can be. It's amazing. Verse 25. Strike a scoffer, and the simple will become wary. Rebuke one who has understanding, and he will discern knowledge. He's talking about three people here a scoffer which is someone that basically mocks god he also speaks of the simple which is kind of we could communicate that as someone that's naive in general and uh and then also those that have understanding so he says if you strike us a, a mocker the simple will become wary they'll look at that and go "Oh, i don't want to do that i don't want to you know i don't want that to happen to me and um all of that. It's not like he calls us to go around striking mockers all the time, but um, if they are disciplined, um, then the simple can learn from that. But then he says, "Rebuke one who has understanding, and he will discern knowledge." See, understanding and wisdom, like we've seen in the Book of Proverbs, as we assimilate or. Uh, appropriate those things in our lives and we receive it in our hearts and desire to do those things and to obey those things we get further understanding related to life and the things of the Lord and that gives us a further ability to weigh things as those things come up in our lives and we're able to discern even better. Discernment and understanding leads to further discernment and understanding. And when you have someone that's wise and teachable and, and wanting to discern knowledge, when they're rebuked, they don't have a negative reaction. They have a positive of, of reaction and a healthy reaction. And they actually look through those things for the things that are applicable to them. Because when someone rebukes us, they have they still have limited knowledge in some respects we all have limited knowledge so a wise person will look at that rebuke and, and really honestly even before the lord because we don't even know our own hearts sometimes say what is it that i need to receive from this what is it that i truly need from this rebuke and and discern those things and and be able to receive them we sh- all of us should be able to be rebuked all of us should be able to be exhorted all of us should be able to be corrected and and realize that those things are valuable. Someone's actually taking a risk by doing that for us because they're risking our rejection. They're, re- they're risking a, ba- a bad response from us, a, You know, something that wouldn't be nice to experience. I mean, all of us want to be liked on some level. And so we have to recognize that exhortation. People take risks to do that. And, and we appreciate that. Even if we, before the Lord, take that to prayer, we, we don't believe that that was true for us or from him or whatever, we need to be thankful that person was willing to say something. You know, we're, we're told to exhort one another daily, 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 it says, daily. Exhort one another daily, especially as we see the day approaching. We don't do that. We should have a, a, a whole environment where we can say difficult things in love to one another on a consistent basis, and, and we should be thankful for it and thanking people for saying those things verse 26 he who mistreats his father and chases away his mother is a son who causes shame and brings reproach and that's true and we could we could maybe have experienced that maybe our children have done that to us or maybe we have done that to our parents at one point and it's just it's just the truth you invest so much into your children and when they don't honor you and they were told in scripture to honor your father and your mother when we don't honor them and we do things against how they've raised us if they've raised us the way that they should then we bring them reproach and shame god doesn't want that verse 27 cease listening to instruction my son and you will stray from the words of knowledge so solomon's even talking to his children here i mean he's It's something that you pass on as a father. It's something very valuable that you pass on knowledge and and instruction and all of that. And he says, when you cease listening to instructions, you will stray from the words of knowledge. And the ironic thing is that this happened to Solomon, again, at the end of his life. He turned away from a lot of these things. So he didn't even listen to his own teaching. And that's why we have to be careful and be circumspect with our lives and be asking, you know, this like the disciples did, is it I? Am I the one that's going to betray you? You know, they don't even know their own hearts, and that's a healthy response for us. We don't even know our own hearts. Verse 28, a disreputable witness scorns justice, and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. So we've seen it over and over where God's spoken about bad witnesses, false witnesses, and how much he hates that because he's a just God. And he's saying that a person that does that they scorn justice they they mock justice and and the those people the wicked they 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 devour sin that's what iniquity is they devour iniquity and then the last verse verse 29 judgments are prepared for scoffers and beatings for the back backs of fools so it's just speaking against the posture of of being cynical towards the things of the lord and and being mocking those things, and being foolish with what god 's told us to do and and not being good stewards of the knowledge that he 's given us and he 's saying basically I mean in this culture there's a whole different way that they dealt with people that did those things, but the the idea is the principle that carries over to today is god there 's discipline coming there 's retribution or or reaping what we 've sown coming if we don't listen to what God has said and if we don't respect his word and the things that he's revealed to us we can know that that the powers that be the ones the authorities that God has set up will be used to to bring discipline he doesn't want that for us but we'll stop there today let's pray together thank you father for your amazing word thank you for your wisdom father help us to not assess ourselves by what we agree with but by what we're obeying And work against any self-deception that we may have in our lives related to our obedience to you. We pray, Lord, that we would grow in our obedience to you. We just thank you for the opportunity to be taught by you, to hear your word, to see it, to look into it, and have your Holy Spirit work in our lives through it. What a privilege it is. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.